Um, but my name is Noelle. I'm on staff with Campus Ministry. I used to be a student here, graduated in 2015, and I'm just so grateful to be here in front of all of you and to get to work with you. It's my favorite thing in the world, so thanks for having me. I love you guys so much. Um, okay, I'm going to tell you guys a story about when I found myself in a really dangerous place and I needed rescuing, but to help us get there, I'm going to introduce a couple of my best friends. So this is Sarah and Tara. Sarah, Tara, and I met in the freshman dorms. Go Copeland. It's the best place to live. <laughs> I truly believe that because you make really great lifelong friends like these girls. Um, so we met in the freshman dorms with some other great girls, and then we all lived together throughout college. It was really awesome. Great time. We did a lot of fun things together. Um, both Sarah and Tara are now married, and they both have a baby. But five years ago, we were in a very different place in our lives where we could do a lot of dating dangerous and risky things without having to be accountable to anyone. So that was really nice. Um, so August 2014, it was the summer before our senior year of college, and Sarah and I had talked about wanting to go visit Tara and her family up in the Upper Peninsula, in the UP, um, where she's from. Her hometown is Lance, if you don't know where Lance is. Um, it's in Berwick County over near Han Houghton and Hancock in the Keweenaw Peninsula, so it's like way up here, nine hours away from Grand Valley. Um, so one day we just uh, pack up some stuff. We, I mean, we had planned it, but we pack up some stuff, we get in my car, and we make the nine-hour drive all the way up to Lance to go hang out with Tara and her family. Um, so here are some pictures from our week up there, if this clicker wants to work. Uh, we did a lot of hiking over at Point Abbey. It was really awesome. A lot of black flies that sting you, so don't go there in August. Um, we hung out at Tara's bear camp where we saw one of her sheds get torn apart, or we saw it torn apart because a bear had tried to get inside because there was food. Um, so that was scary and awesome and dangerous being out there in the wilderness. We went cliff jumping, also dangerous, super fun. Took my Grand Valley flag everywhere we went because we just wanted to represent Laker pride. And then we took a lot of girl band photos like this one over at the Sturgeon Gorge. So we had a lot of fun. And at the end of our trip, Sarah and I were driving back um, through the UP and we're going through like the long stretch and we're just kind of clipping up by Marquette and we're like, oh, Munising, pictured rocks. We have a few hours to spare. We've never been there before. Why don't we just go check it out? So without having any plan or any real idea of like where we were going when we got there, because the park is really big, we just decided to go and whatever happened would happen. Um, so eventually we went make our way to the lookout point, which is over where the guest information center is. Some of you know this really iconic view. Um, you might have been there yourself or you might have seen it online. It's really, really beautiful. So we're standing over here at this lookout. We're just taking in all the majesty of this like beautifully colored water and everything, and we noticed like right in that area, a couple people were just swimming next to the cliff, and we thought, oh, maybe they're exploring the cave or something, whatever, and in that moment, I was just like taking it all in, and I just lean over at the lookout, and I'm like, you know, that water looks awfully nice right now, and I just look over to Sarah, and I'm like, so we, we both knew what each other was thinking, and we got in the car, and we drove down to Mineral Beach, which was the closest beach to where we could get access to swim out here. In Mineral Beach, if the screen went off, it would probably be like somewhere in that area. So we get down to Mineral Beach and we find a big group of kayakers, like 40 people that were just coming out with their kayaks um, and they were going to head out into the water and we had heard that they were going to go out this way and we thought, well, that would be a really good idea. We can swim out with them so we're not alone. 
So we uh, decide to swim out with them. We don't have any life jackets with us. We don't have any flotation devices. It's just us and these kayakers going out to this cove area. And, you know, I'm so surprised that no one said this was like a dangerous thing or anything. They were just like, okay, cool, and let us swim along with them. Um, before we left, we had them. Okay, so here's Mineral Beach. We were like in this area with the kayakers, and then we like swam pretty much from here all the way out and around and around and into that cove. Um, before before we left, we had the kayakers take this picture of us. We're nice, we're happy, we're dry, not for long. Um, so we start swimming out, and it's a really long swim. It's like 20 minutes to get out there, and we finally get to the cove area. If I can get to that one again. We finally get to the cove area, and we're thinking, okay, we're going to hang out here and explore for a bit. Um, but the kayakers, to our surprise, kept going on without us, and we were like, oh, shoot, we're going to be alone. Um, so we just kind of watched them go off, and we're like, if something happens to us, we don't have anyone to help us. What are we going to do? Um, so we, we just hung out there, and we were starting to get really tired, and we were starting to get cold, so we were thinking, like, how are we going to warm up our bodies? Um, and this cliff area over here is, like, pretty straight up, and it's rigid and scratchy, so if you, like, try to climb on it, you're just going to, like, slide back down and scratch yourself. But just, like, in this little nook area, there's just enough of a slant where you could really like rest if you really got yourself like up there so we just like waited for the right wave and then we like let the wave like wash us up and we just like plastered our bodies literally onto this rock so that we could get like some sunlight to heat us up and to our surprise someone was actually like up there and took a picture of us as we had like starfished ourselves onto this like rock so apparently that's what we looked like. We were clearly in distress. Um, our bodies were so red because we were just getting burned by the sun. No, I did Photoshop that yesterday. Um, <laughs> I'll take that down so we can focus. So we're like, you know what? We could hang out over here, but we're either going to fry or die. So we should probably just get back in the water and go. So we say a prayer, um, just like, Lord, help us get through this. And we start swimming back around. But this time around was way more difficult because... The water seemed colder. We had just laid out in the sun. And our bodies were so much more tired because we had already made the big swim out there. And we had already used all our strength to like starfish ourselves onto this rock. And now the waves are picking up because there's this breeze and there's these like tourist ferries in the distance. And they're just sending waves our way and starting to crash us like up against those cliffs. So we had just said, like, okay, we're going to just, like, occasionally say Marco Polo to each other so we can, like, make sure that the other person is alive and we're still, like, breathing and all that stuff. So um, we start swimming out. And I had swam competitively for 11 years of my life. So, like, swimming is supposed to be, like, a really, like, easy thing for me. But this was no easy task. This was so difficult, swimming against the waves. And I remember at one point, like, Sarah had fallen behind me a little bit. And I looked back to see where she was at. And I didn't see her. So I'm just like, Marco, Marco. And there was no response. It was just like dead silent. And I'm like, it's, it's done. She went under. We're, we're screwed. Like, it's, it's over. I went into this panic for like 10 seconds. And then I just started screaming again, like, Marco, Marco, Sarah, Sarah. And she finally hears me. Sarah, she, bless her heart, she had laid on her back to like conserve her energy. And her ears were underwater. So she couldn't hear me and sent me into this massive pa panic, thinking that she had sunken down to the bottom of Lake Superior and that I had lost her for the rest of my life. Um, but she's a very light person and can float and hide under waves well, so I did not see her. Um, eventually, we finally make it back to the other side of the cove on Mineral Beach, and there's these big boulders that were a little bit closer to the area that we had launched off at, um, but we're like, we just have to get out here. So we're trying to like 
throw or hoist our bodies up on these like really big boulders, but it was just not working out for us. We were like grabbing on and then like falling back down because they were slippery and we're scratching up our bodies. And then finally we just waited for this really big wave and we like got on and I helped her a little bit out of the water and our bodies just collapsed onto the rock. And I'm just sitting there like, (sighs) like I'm just trying to catch my breath and I turn my head over to Sarah And I see her little blue tinted lips just kissing the rock that we were laying on. And she just goes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That was so stupid. Thank you, Jesus. I kid you not, we probably like sat there for 10 minutes just praising God and praying and thanking him for saving us from the stupidest thing we had done where we could have died. Um, So that is my dumb story. And then I told Sarah I was going to share this yesterday. And she said, well, you have to show them the rat picture. I said, the rat picture? She's like, yeah, the picture we took when we came out of the water when we looked like rats. So that was, <laughs> that's the after photo. We are clearly distressed. And we, at that point, we had not told anyone because we were embarrassed and also didn't want our parents to worry about us. But anyway, tonight we are going to hear another story about some people who were also delivered through water. Um, And it's really cool. So this year at the well, we are studying the story of the Bible all the way from Genesis in the Old Testament to Revelation in the New Testament. And there are so many amazing stories in this big story that is the story in the Bible. And they all connect to one another in some way. And the coolest part is that our story also fits into this big story, which is why we're calling our series this year, Our Story. So tonight, we are going to move away from the last point on the timeline. We were over talking about the patriarchs. We're going to move into Exodus. So we had started the series off in Genesis um, at the very beginning with creation. And then last week, Ben brought us to the very end of Genesis where he talked about the story of Joseph's life and forgiveness. And tonight, like I said, moving into Exodus and looking at the story of God's deliverance of the Israelites through the Red Sea, particularly their response afterwards. Now, a lot has happened since last week. So to help us fill in the gaps between the different teachings that we have at the well, we've created this timeline Bible study guide that has these select chapters that you can read throughout the week with your life groups or your friends or your roommates. They're really helpful. Um, If you don't have one of those, you can pick one up this week in the campus ministry office. Um, Also, if you need a Bible for tonight, would you raise your hand and our friends in the back will come out and pass them out. So if you are, if you miss the well for whatever reason, if you're like, oversleeping from a nap or you just need to go home for a weekend, whatever, um, you can still listen to the teachings on Sunday nights through the Campus Ministry app. It's available for iPhones and Androids, or you can just go on the Campus Ministry website and find the audio recording of our teachings there. Um, Yeah, so just to kind of catch us up from what happened there, right? The Israelites, they're enslaved in Egypt. God shows up to Moses in this fiery, burning bush, and he calls him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. But Pharaoh's like, nah, I want none of that. So then God sends like 10 plagues on him to get his attention and to exercise his power over Pharaoh and his army and to show Pharaoh who he really is. And then Pharaoh's finally like, okay, we're all going to get destroyed. So fine, let him out. I'm going to send all the Israelites out. So they, they have their exodus out of Egypt. And it's just this fascinating story that we're not covering here at the well. It's like chapters 1 through 13, really, arguably 14. So um, if you haven't read that, please do that on your own because so much happens that we're not covering here. And it's really amazing to see how God was with the Israelites. 
So where we're picking up Israelites, they're out of Egypt and they're being led by God through the wilderness in a cloud of fire by night and a cloud of smoke by day. And God is strategically leading them out into the wilderness away from other nations knowing that they might fear those other nations and fear war with those other nations and then desire to go back to their captivity in Egypt. So he's strategically leading them away even though it's maybe not the most convenient route. Um, And eventually he brings them to the Red Sea where he has them set up camp. And just when we think that we're done with Pharaoh, just when we think that we're not going to see any more of him and any more of his tyranny, God decides to harden Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh and his army would go after the Israelites and then God could have his ultimate glory in this story. So Pharaoh goes out with his army. He's got like 600 chosen chariots with horses. And then he calls in all kinds of other chariots from all over Egypt and all kinds of officers. And they literally just set out after the Israelites, pursuing after them to go get them while they're camping next to the Red Sea. And to help tell this next part of the story, we're going to watch a little video clip that I think you're going to enjoy. I love that little bit. And I I hope it helps us get an idea of what it might have looked like that night next to the Red Sea. I mean, just imagine the Israelites are camped out right next to the water and out of nowhere, Pharaoh and his army just show up and start charging right at them. I mean, that's like being at the shore of Lake Michigan and you look behind you and suddenly you've got like an army of your enemies just charging at you and you have nowhere to go. You literally have death and drowning in front of you and death behind you. I mean, just imagine what they might have been experiencing in that moment. You just have death in front of you and behind you. But then God tells Moses to stretch out his staff, to stretch out his arm, because when he does that, God will separate the sea so that the people can go through and that God can have his victory over the enemy. And before he does that, God just separates the Egyptians from the Israelites with his pillar of fire and smoke so that they have time to cross through. So when Moses stretches out his hand and God drives the waters apart with his mighty wind, the Israelites can cross on dry land. I mean, they're going out and there's these towering, towering water walls, right? Like stories high on either side of them. Just think about how terrifying that would be. Like, I'm afraid to walk down a dark hallway. I don't know that I could bring myself to walk down like a, basically like the bottom of a lake with two giant walls of water on either side of me. That must have been terrifying. And then if that's not enough, Pharaoh and his army are now charging after the Israelites and they're being chased as they're walking through the lake. But God being who God is causes a panic amongst the Egyptians and then they kind of get stuck in their wrestling and then Moses and his people just kind of get out and then God sends all of the waters crashing over Pharaoh and his people literally covering them and destroying them. Not a single one of them or their horses remained. God had victory over death And the Israelites just watched in absolute awe as God did what he did. And their response was fear of the Lord and faith and belief in who he is and Moses' faith. So that's what happens in Exodus 14, right? It's just like unbelievable, this crazy, crazy story of deliverance. But the story doesn't end there. It's actually not over. And tonight we're going to move into chapter 15 and we're going to look at the Israelites' response after God delivers them. And it's this really, really beautiful song that the Israelites sing right after all of this happens. 
So I'm going to invite a few friends up here to help us share that story tonight. If Hannah, Alyssa, and Ayana want to come up, um, I'll have the mic ready for you, and then you can help us read Exodus 15, verses 1 through 21. The text reference is up on the screen. If you want to read along, you can follow that way or you can just listen as they read. But as they're reading, I just want you to pay attention to what or who the song is pointing to. Who is the song referring to and what is it saying? Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. The Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the seas. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Seas. The deep waters have covered them. They sank into the depths like stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In his greatness... Uh, in the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chief of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by. Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You ladies can go have a seat. Would you help me thank them for reading tonight? So I don't know about you, but when I hear this response and when I think about what the Israelites' experience just was, I don't I think to myself and I don't think that my response, at least my first response after experiencing something like that would be dancing and singing, okay? I mean, they just crossed through the water. They were just freed from their enemies and they watched their enemies just be shattered um, by God in the sea and they're even seeing their bodies wash up on the shore. I mean, my first response would be like panic, freak out, cry, then process, then like freak out, panic, repeat again. But here's the thing. This was a great, great, great miracle for them. Think back to their story with me. 
The Israelites were stuck in slavery for 400 years waiting for God to deliver them. They had experienced so much pain and so much brokenness, so much oppression and so much disappointment. I mean, imagine all of that building up in your family and knowing that that's been the story of your ancestors for 400 years. Imagine the fear that they faced. Imagine the uncertainty they faced every single day of their lives, not knowing what was going to come next or if there was any relief in sight. There was no rest, no comfort, and the Israelites needed deliverance from their enemy, which also happened to be the greatest superpower in the ancient world. I mean, imagine how hopeless that would feel knowing that the greatest power in the world has power over you. But God had made a promise to Abraham that his descendants would be a great nation. And let me tell you something, when God makes a promise, he ain't going to back out, okay? Despite the opposition of the greatest superpower in the ancient world, and despite the unbelief and even disobedience of the people of Israel themselves, God upholds his promise to his people in the most miraculous way known to humankind at the time. In this song of the Israelites, we hear them celebrate the fact that God had just led them out of what seemed to be an endless suffering in slavery for the rest of their lives, right? Through this giant body of water, parting it so they could literally walk through on dry ground. And then he utterly destroys their enemies right before their eyes. The text says, both horse and driver, he has hurled into the sea. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. They felt joy. And the joy that they felt couldn't be contained. Their bondage was over and their enemy was defeated. And they were worshiping with their whole bodies and with their whole beings because that was the only thing they could do for a miracle this big and a fulfillment this crazy. I mean, this was foundational. This was an absolutely foundational moment for them in their identity as God's children through his covenant promise to Abraham and also foundational in their view of who God is and who God's character is. It forever established that God had power over their enemies and it forever established that God has power over death. How could they not sing? And part of me wonders if they were even like, dude, did you see how awesome that was? Did you see how crazy and cool our God is? Did you see what he did? I mean, it's kind of that feeling I get when I see a crazy sunset outside. I remember like running into my dorm, like to bring my roommates out when I was in college to show them like, look at this, this is crazy. I'm wondering if they even had some of that feeling in them. They were just mind blown by what God had done. They witnessed his character in full play as he delivered them from their enemies, from their nightmare, right in front of their eyes. And this entire song goes on to point to God's glorious character in remembering what he had just done for them and also what he will do for them. This song goes on to say what God has done, what he will done, and back to what he has done again. That's kind of how it's structured when you look at the passage as a whole. And I think this is huge. Because when we read that the Israelites were looking back at their deliverance and looking back at what God had done for them, we learn that through looking back, they were able to look forward and they were able to look at God in faith for, for who he is and for what he was doing, trusting that he would do it again. 
So I love Hebrew. I took Hebrew in seminary. It's my favorite. Um, and there's this Hebrew word that I've really come to fall in love with. It, it's called aharit. Say aharit. Good. You can speak Hebrew. I hear a lot of <laughs> Great job. Okay. Aharit. It describes this ancient Israelite spiritual geography. I know that's like terminology we haven't heard before. A spiritual geography. What does that mean? Um, it's this idea that the Israelites understood their past as being in front of them and their future as being behind them. I know that's, that's crazy. Just bear with me for a second. They would orient their lives toward the past where they could see God and where they could know his character so that they could move forward because they knew his character and they could trust him for their future. I mean, think about it kind of like rowing or crew, right? Um, In crew, rowers are facing backwards, but they're moving forward at the same time, right? It's this idea that in order to move forward in faith, you need to orient yourself looking back at what God had done and who he is to believe and trust that he is who he says he is, and that he will come through again. I think that's a very different way of thinking than I think, and it's a very different way from thinking than our culture thinks, right? We're future-oriented people. We're always looking ahead, constantly striving to look forward and see the things that we can't see. We're planners. We just want to have everything figured out. And I think we have this tendency to just look at the uncertainty of our futures instead of looking back at what God has done for us and trusting that he's going to carry us through when we're only given like one or two steps of our futures rather than like the five or ten that we want to see. Right? This is a very different way of thinking than we think. But the Israelites knew that they were delivered and they could look back and see how God had worked in their lives. And this was a huge part of their identity. It's a huge, huge part of their story when you're able to look back and say, God did this for me and this is how I come to understand my identity and who God is and what our relationship as a people, as a covenant people, is to God. But nonetheless, even though they were delivered, they still needed more deliverance, right? The story doesn't end at the Red Sea. Yes, there's this crazy song of celebration, but just like, the, just like us, the Israelites weren't perfect either. And there are a lot of things that come up that we'll learn about in the coming weeks and months as we study the rest of our story together here at the well. But we'll see time and time again how the Israelites need deliverance over and over again. And I'm wondering, as we're talking about this terminology of deliverance and conquering death, does any of this language sound familiar to you? Does any of this language around deliverance and salvation ring a bell in your head? Because when I hear it, when I hear about an ultimate deliverance and conquering death in a song of celebration, I'm immediately thinking about Jesus and his victory on the cross. The story of the Israelites continues in Jesus, who ultimately delivers every single one of us through his death and resurrection. We're saved and secured in our salvation through Christ, but we also find ourselves in times of trouble when we need deliverance from those things that might seem like they're conquering us or have power and death over us, right? I think a lot of you in the room might be experiencing that through this final stretch before fall break with midterms, right? You might be feeling the stress of your exams and you're feeling overwhelmed because of school or other things that are going on, just trying to balance all of it. 
You might be feeling stress from an unhealthy roommate situation. I've heard some of that going around. Or maybe the pressure of not having everything figured out, right? Not knowing what the next 10 steps of your life are and not being able to tell mom and dad, hey, I have it all figured out. But they're paying for your tuition or something like that, right? There's a lot of pressure that we carry. The pressure of trying to balance everything, as I said, between school and work, family and friends, all the things that we carry, we're carrying so much. Maybe you're feeling failure for not getting into the program that you applied for or not doing well on an exam. Or maybe you're facing the fear of not finding the right person to be with or the right internship or the right job. Maybe like Kelsey, it's a medical condition or anxiety or depression or even an addiction that you're struggling with that has the power of death over you. What fear of death are you facing tonight? What do you need deliverance from? What do you need God to rescue you from? I want to recognize that it's not that's simple for everyone, right? It's not as simple as just passing through the Red Sea and then suddenly being freed from the thing that had power over you. It doesn't just work that easily for some of us. But what I do want you to know and what I want you to hold on to as you walk out of here tonight is that God will never abandon you through the crossing of your sea, no matter how long it takes or how, how hard it seems or how painful or scary it feels. He will always be with you and go before you just like he did with his people in the wilderness. He was with them in their slavery and he went before them. He led them out of Egypt. He sustained them and he protected them through the waters of the Red Sea. And then he completely shattered their enemy when the time was right. The thing about God is that he always makes a way for us. But sometimes his way isn't the way that we're expecting. His ways never really fully come to be what we think they're going to be. And I think that's true for Moses and the people of Israel. When I think about their story, I don't think that they thought they were going to be camping out by the Red Sea and being chased by their enemies and walking through water. I really don't think that that's what they thought their story of deliverance was going to look like. But the cool thing about God is that the, how God makes a way matters for how he completes the process of victory. I'm going to say that again. How God makes a way matters for how he completes the process. We see this in the story at the Red Sea. We see this in the story of Jesus, and we see this in our own stories. I've seen it in my story, and I've seen it in my friend Kelsey's story. Cats out of the bag, Kelsey and I are really good friends. She's like a sister to me. Um, we've been going to church together for the past seven years, and I was able to walk with her and her family through her story of trigeminal neuralgia. Um, it's really hard to look at that picture sometimes and think about the pain that she went through and the things that she had to miss out on her freshman year of high school because she couldn't talk and she couldn't open part of her mouth. It was a really hard journey for her and her family and for all of us who surrounded them in that time of waiting and wondering when God would show up and when God would deliver Kelsey. And I'm not going to lie, just like Kelsey, I had my doubts too. And I was asking God, God, why are you putting my little sister through this pain? I love her so much and I don't want to see her suffer like this. I don't want to see anyone suffer like this. God, why are you doing it this way? We had to wait 
almost a year until we could start to see her smile again. And that was hard and painful and gross. But God had a reason. As she came up here and told us today, God had a reason for why he did the things the way he did. And he worked through her story and he's working through other people's lives because of the way that he made for Kelsey. And even through this time of suffering with her family, those of us who surrounded her in prayer never ceased to praise God because we knew that ultimately God would deliver her and look what he did. She can smile again, and we can see her full, beautiful face. The song of the Israelites is also our song. God has delivered us in Jesus through the most incredible and amazing event of deliverance in the history of all people. And that's the deliverance that we see at the cross. Now, we're still going to need help along the way, right? We still have battles that we're facing. But through every little way that we praise together, God will never fail to show up because of his steadfast love, faithfulness, and grace. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you so much thanks for a story that we get to carry with us in our hearts and in a book that we love that tells us about who you are and what you have done for your people. And God, by your grace and your love, we get to be a part of this crazy story that you're still writing. God, sometimes we look back at our story and we wonder why. But Lord, would you help us, Holy Spirit, would you help us to see that you have a purpose in that and to just trust you, God, to look back at stories like the one of the Israelites at the Red Sea and to say you do crazy things, to look back at the cross and say you do crazy things and because of that we can know you and we can trust you because you've done it before and you can do it again. Jesus, you are our strength And we give you the highest praise because you have conquered death for us. And because of that, we can move forward singing our song of deliverance. Spirit, would you guide us this week as we're encountering those things that feel like death in our lives and feel like oppression, Lord. The scary things that we have to cross through. Lord, you have given us a reason to sing. And I pray that we come to understand that as part of our story. We ask all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.